Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It's a gorgeous May day here in New England, which means that all of you seniors out there have officially selected your college, and you're probably thinking that you're done. However, I'm here to tell you, unfortunately, you are not done, and one of our segments today is actually going to talk exactly about that. How do you finish the year strong, and what is the senior slide all about, and how can you avoid it? Uh, We're also going to be talking about homeschooling and some of the pros and cons involved in that and some things to be thinking about if you are uh, a homeschooled student or you're a parent who's homeschooling your child or you're a parent who's considering homeschooling your child. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But before we do any of that, we are going to look at, take a close look at the New York Excelsior Scholarship. And joining me today to talk about that is my colleague uh, and former financial aid officer at Emerson College, among others. Uh, is Stacy McFeeders. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate you being here. And actually very excited to talk about the Excelsior Scholarship. It's the second year this has been around, if I'm correct, although we all know that I know enough to be dangerous on the finance side and not so much to necessarily be helpful. Um, but I think in terms of getting started, can you tell us more about what is this scholarship exactly? Sure, absolutely, and you are correct. Uh, It is the second year of the New York State Excelsior Scholarship. It was actually signed into law last April by Governor Cuomo, uh, effective for the current school year. So we are uh, entering application season for the second year. And really what this this program allows for is it allows free tuition uh, in New York State for New York State residents at the New York State public colleges and universities. So it is the first of its kind to offer free tuition uh, to their to residents um, at four-year colleges as well as community colleges. Um, there's a few other states who stepped in before the community college program, but this is the first of its kind to offer uh, the full four-year degree as well. Awesome. So obviously that's very exciting, especially if you already were thinking about going to school in New York State, and perhaps if you weren't thinking about going to school in New York State, then uh, something to consider. And just to reiterate, you must be a New York State resident to take advantage of this scholarship. Is that correct? Yeah, you have to be a New York State resident and you have to be attending uh, one of the in-state public universities, whether it's one of the SUNY or CUNY schools uh, or community colleges. So, yep, it would be in-state residents only. Um, You also have to plan to stay after graduation um, and it has to be one of the state colleges and universities. Got it. Okay, so that's important for everyone to note. Um, We now have officially probably lost all of the listeners who aren't New York State residents. However, (laughs) you never know. Um, It's probably useful to take a listen because this is the first of its kind, but you really don't know. It might actually get introduced in other places, Um, and so we might see something like this roll out in the future in other states. Um, We we actually have already seen a lot of proposals, so you're absolutely right about that. Interesting. Okay, so good. So now, everyone who was thinking you didn't want to listen to this, now you can listen because this might actually get introduced in your state. Uh, and there are some in- other cool things that we'll talk about, Beth, that might be, keep people on the line because um, there are other things that schools have done, so we can come to that at the end, the impact. Okay. 
Got it. All right, good. So let's let's get to the most probably the most important piece, which is how do you apply? Yep, absolutely. So a couple things for families to know. There are income restrictions or in, income limitations. So if you are a family with, whose combined AGI, adjusted gross income, is less than $110,000, you will qualify. So if you make significantly more than that or you're not sure, definitely go through the application process. Um, you've probably already done a significant part of the process, and that is completing the free application for federal student aid, or FAFSA, which is required for all financial aid programs. You also would need to complete the uh, New York State TAP um, application, which is the in-state scholarship program, um, as well as the New York State Excelsior program. Uh, program scholarship, and all of those would need to be completed by uh, July 23rd of 2018 for anyone who is looking to enroll in um, September of 2018. And again, just to be clear, this is new applications only. Anyone who has already applied does not need to reapply, which is actually a little different than the way they had announced this last year. So initially, they, there was the thought that everybody would need to reapply, and in fact, that is not the case. It's only... Um, individuals who are applying for the first time. Interesting. Uh, So uh, just in terms of what the application requires, this is really an income-based type of scholarship, right? So students aren't going to be judged on merit. They're not going to be required to write an essay, anything like that, right? Correct? Correct. It is strictly income-based. It is is, is really the intention, uh, the state of New York's intention was to be able to provide more access to to families of low and moderate income to higher education. So, yep, absolutely, it's strictly income-based. So uh, what's interesting to me about the idea that you don't have to reapply is what if you your financial circumstances have changed and now you are no longer moderate to low income? I, will they maybe just see your tax returns or have they even worked that piece out as, as far as you know? So we haven't seen any specific um, instructions on reapplication other than the fact that there is no need to reapply. Um, there's question as to whether or not they will be able to view uh, FAFSA data or TAP data, which is what I'm assuming is possible. Um, otherwise, they may just be going off the first year. Um, yeah, that, that was one question that we were digging deeper on as well. Um, but, you know, knowing that you have completed past FAFSA and TAP applications, they may be looking at that information. Interesting. Okay. And let's talk a little bit about how much money that families can really expect, especially when you think about what we're saying here is it's free tuition, which is not the same thing as free college, especially if you are living on the college campus. So what, what can you share about that? It's a great question. So there's a little bit of a formula involved this year. Um, Basically, the the end game is that we expect that the maximum award will be um, a combination of of things that will will add up to $6,470, which is the most expensive um, SUNY program currently. Um, It is tuition only. And the way that it has been defined for this year, which again is a little bit of a change from last year, is that the the recipient of an Excelsior scholarship may receive up to $5,500 in scholarship. And then there's a little bit of a calculation that they're adding in um, that's, that's a little more complicated, but basically they're going to take the resident tuition rate charged by SUNY or CUNY and will be reduced by the amount of all other aid that's been awarded and then basically the, the remaining balance will either be covered by the scholarship or a credit. So that's a lot of language, but basically it's 
up to an amount, everything else comes first, and then whatever's left over in your tuition charges only um, will be whatever you're eligible for in Excelsior. Got it. So if you're not living on campus, let's say you're going to a CUNY school and you live in the city and you're just going to commute every day, then in theory, the only additional charges you will have to be paying will be for things like books. But if you are going to be residential, then you're going to have to pay room and board and all that stuff. Yeah, so I would I would add to that to that first. You would probably have to cover any fees. We do know that okay. a lot of uh, um, state programs often you can incur some additional fees. So fees, books and supplies, uh, transportation, any meal plan, housing, none of that is covered. It's strictly tuition costs only. Okay, and then in terms of we talked about the CUNY schools, the SUNY schools. Cornell, my alma mater, is actually technically partially a land-grant institution, so some of the undergraduate colleges at Cornell are considered state schools. Do you know if they're taking part in this program? They are. There are two other schools that are that are um, included that have the uh, the SUNY um, presence on campus, and Cornell is one of them. So, yep, absolutely, that is being included. Interesting. That is certainly very exciting for families because Cornell tends to be, it is certainly much less expensive to go to one of the land-grant institutions if you are at, uh, you know, if you're a New York State resident and to be able to get um, that kind of money off would be pretty spectacular for for those families. So very exciting. So you mentioned a little bit earlier when we were talking that other schools looking at similar things. And and I guess the bigger question here would be around what has the impact been in, uh, in the college community of the introduction of a program like this in a state as big as New York? It's a great question. And it's funny, last year at this time, we were being asked to sort of prognosticate a little bit about what we thought the impact would be. We talked to some of our colleagues at uh, some of the private schools that, that do compete with with the SUNY and CUNY schools, um, and there was a lot of you know thought that 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 the public institutions would see increases in enrollment and applications, and the reality is that has been true. Um, many of the New York State public institutions are in, uh, reporting increases in enrollment for the current year, and they've all also indicated a pretty significant increase in uh, applications for um, for next year. So that's definitely the an unexpected impact impact, and it's definitely happened. Um, CUNY this year, I think it was in January, they came out with a report that indicated that they're, they're attributing their entire increase to the introduction of Excelsior. Mm. Um, so I think that's one thing that, that we expected. Um, there are some reports that uh, p- uh, private independent college enrollment is slightly down, although they're not necessarily attributing the same to Excelsior for the first year. I think Excelsior happened pretty late in the game, um, so probably not a tremendous impact on the private schools. Um, for the first year, you know, we're seeing a lot of sort of changes in enrollment across the board, so that may be true that they haven't seen an impact. Um, but the piece that I think is most exciting is that a lot of New York State uh, independent private colleges are actually instituting their own New York State resident scholarship programs to mm. maybe combat Excelsior. So um, I think that's a really super positive thing that, 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 you know, a little competition is good for everyone, and I think that that's what's happening. Right. Right. So in essence, what they're kind of doing is introducing programming that will bring them into line pricing-wise with 
other st- the state institutions who are able to offer the Excelsior program. Of yeah, course, exactly. I, w- I would assume I would assume that the same income parameters would apply. Correct? It's still going to be primarily for lower income families. Um, you know, that would be my guess, but the reality is we know that a lot of private schools have a lot more resources, so they may even be able to combat it by going a little deeper. Um, yeah. so, so that would be that would be my thought, you know, having come out of a couple of private schools and always thinking strategy around these types of things, that's more than likely what we would have done. Um, but I think what's really interesting about this is as we talk about these programs expanding to other states, you know, maybe you don't qualify as a family um, in New York State or other states, you know, as they start to introduce them. But if private schools are wanting to compete, these are the types of things that are going to happen. So there's a whole lot of win-win happening. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Stacy, thank you so much for joining me today. This is really interesting information, and I hope that it does end up being uh, that this Excelsior program does end up being a spark that kind of lights a fire that spreads across the country. Um, more assistance for middle and lower income families would absolutely be a plus, especially if, as you're suggesting, it, it potentially extends uh, to some private institutions and then that they broaden that a little bit to some other families for whom uh, it's not very easy to write that check uh, for fifty to seventy thousand dollars, and um, even if you are in the higher income brackets, I don't think that's necessarily an easy thing to do. So, anything that makes college a little bit more affordable, I think we can get behind. I agree completely. Absolutely. All right. Well, don't go away. When we come back from the break, we are going to be talking about um, homeschooling and some of the things that you want to think about and consider if that's an option either you chose or thinking about choosing. Uh, So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer Kroger. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
In fitness and health, we all deserve a second chance. Join host Michael Skog for the program, You Only Stronger. You always have the ability to start fresh, even if you slip up on your diet or fitness program. Even small steps taken throughout the day can help. Each show will conclude with weekly assignments that you can use and will want to hear your feedback. You Only Stronger airs live Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are moving on from talking about the New York Excelsior Scholarship to Tackling the question of homeschooling, and I know this is a choice that some families either have already made or are thinking about making for a variety of reasons, and we do get questions about it. We thought it would be great to do a segment around homeschooling, some of the pros and cons, and some things to think about, especially as it relates to college applications. And joining me today to talk about this is Kara Courtois, who is my lovely colleague here at College Coach. She is also a former admissions officer at Barnard College and also a former teacher, so um, potentially has that additional um, perspective on this. Hi, Kara. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Very excited to have you back on the show and to talk about this subject, which uh, I certainly used to talk to families about on a fairly regular basis when I was at Penn, although I wouldn't say that Mm. I saw a ton of applicants from applications from homeschoolers, but I definitely saw a handful every year. And, um, you know, I thought this would be good for us to, to talk about. And I think my first question for you is, um, what does homeschooling typically look like at the high school level? And are there different variations that you've seen or that exist on the homeschooling front? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, it's the part that I was most fascinated by, I think, of <laughs> all of admissions. I think because I was a high school teacher in a formal classroom, that it sort of blew my mind, and all the <laughs> variations. Um, so, there, you know, the simple answer is that there's definitely not one path that equals uh, what, what makes a homeschooled student or why uh, they choose homeschool. And uh, I'd say as online universities have become more prevalent and maybe popular, that it's probably broadened. I would love to know, in fact, and I don't know when I was scouring the internet earlier to say, what are the stats on the number of homeschooled students, you know, today? So maybe that's a later episode when I have more time, but um, I definitely think that, you know, it's a combination for some students of doing online um, university classes. Many students that I saw, um, having worked at Barnard in New York City, with students really uh, in professional performing mm-hmm. arts oftentimes that would pursue homeschooling um, in a hodgepodge. Some had private 
tutors and some their parents, you know, was overseeing their academic um, process. So mm-hmm. it, it took so many different forms. The key underlying factor is that there was uh, a set curriculum that a homeschooler follows that I don't think people who are familiar with homeschooling would imagine actually exists. Right. And there are, and, and I mean, I know at Penn, what I saw was sometimes a curriculum that I wasn't really sure where they had derived the curriculum. So not, it didn't necessarily come from a, you know, from a specific governing board, the homeschooling curriculum right. board, but they had clearly followed a curriculum, at least the ones who were, who were, competitive in the Penn applicant pool. And one of the things I definitely remember about that was um, that I would get a lot of information about what that curriculum contained, right? I wouldn't get like you would with a regular kid, with a kid who was going to a more traditional school where you'd Mm -hmm. get, you'd see the classes that they took and more or less know what those were, what was involved. Mm -hmm. I would get syllabuses and mm-hmm. you know, a couple of paragraphs about this is what we covered in this class. This is what we did in this yeah. class, unless mm-hmm. they were enrolled in a homeschool group that was, that mm-hmm. had a curriculum that they kind of laid out for us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, the key thing that whenever a homeschool student would come to Barnard that we would absolutely encourage, you know, you really need to be as transparent as possible and very specific about the ways in which you learned and the details of how you learned. And one key thing that we'd often encourage was the more testing you have, the easier it might be, meaning standardized testing, typically subject tests, um, you know, AP exams, Whatever, even if you hadn't taken an official AP course, that might be easier to advocate for you uh, up against a lot of traditional learners. Exactly, especially if the parent is the one doing the teaching. It it, it is very difficult to say, oh, great, this kid's got all A's. Mom gave him yeah. all A's or <laughs> dad gave her all yeah. A's. And, um, and then to have no corroboration beyond maybe just the yeah. SAT or just the ACT. And so, yeah, looking at those additional ways to corroborate that the student really had learned all this information um, mm-hmm. was probably even more important than grades traditionally are in the process mm-hmm. um, for, for the yeah. more traditional high schools. Yeah. yeah. Um, Just always encouraging students to explain why. Why did you choose a homeschooling or why did it choose you, <laughs> you know, maybe mm-hmm. to allow your family, you know, to accommodate travel with their health reasons? You know, what, what were the reasons? And, and then being transparent about the path that you um, traveled because again, similar to a student who attended a traditional school and maybe had, uh, you know, have something tragic potentially or something as big that happened that impacted their uh, the path that they traveled to be transparent about that with admissions committees so that they're not left with these question marks because it just makes it very hard to advocate for a student, especially at a highly selective school, as you know. Mm-hmm. unless you have a lot of the parts to be able to tell the whole picture to the committee. Right. So if the committee chair says to me, why is this student being homeschooled? I want to know, I need to have an answer. And, you know, one that yes. student I remember was he and his sister were um, 
ice skaters and they skated at a very high level and that took them, they traveled a lot. And as a result, they, the family felt like they wanted to be able to do more to take advantage of these places that they were seeing as a result of the the ice skating. And then also Mm -hmm. not feeling like the need to rush back to be in the traditional school setting and constantly being stuck between the two worlds. They basically just transitioned a hundred percent to the skating world and mm-hmm. added the learning component to it. And that was at least a much easier explanation for me to make in the committee room mm-hmm. than perhaps mm-hmm. I might have um, if I hadn't, if they hadn't shared that information. And, and actually that exactly. brings up, uh, you know, I think I always think examples are super helpful to our listeners. And so I was curious if you have uh, some examples or memories of meeting with homeschooled students that you might be able to, to share with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A more recent example was a student um, who she was one of a pretty large family of six kids, and they were given the choice, do you want to be homeschooled or do you want to go to a traditional school? And she was only, she was the oldest of the older siblings who chose to be homeschooled, and three of the others, the next three in line, went to a more traditional school. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. I thought was important for her to write about immediately to even give me clarity on the whys. And then as we moved forward, it allowed us to move forward a little bit faster um, to understand then curriculum choices and extracurricular activities that she could pursue and just all of the ways that she felt that she grew through homeschooling and that choice that she made, um, Mm -hmm. especially in preparing for interviews. I figured very important and great advice that I would pass on to any student who is currently homeschooled is to write about it, maybe in a journal, maybe in a, you know, on your laptop, whatever. Mm -hmm. Tell the story first. Probably not going to be your application essay down the road, but more likely it helps to get it in black and white first to be able to know, am I missing? Did I, did I skip over something that was super important? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and it's a way to process the experience, too. Um, but I think it's super helpful. And that student in particular, in choosing it, she chose it so that she could be home with her younger siblings because she still had two little siblings at home. She was able to help her mom, and I think it helped them financially as well. Mm-hmm. And then she was also able to pursue her writing. She was a really... Um, prolific writer, and she just never felt uh, the need to be in a classroom environment to grow in that way, and that's an area that probably grew maybe faster. We'll never know necessarily, but um, she just really enjoyed be able to write when she wanted to, you know, during Mm -hmm. the day. Right. The the thing I always find a little interesting or uh, a lot interesting is when it's not the student's choice for homeschooling. Because in this example, she had the choice, uh, yes. but but instead is a decision that's just you don't even realize it's a decision. You've been homeschooled and you've always been homeschooled, and and yep. that's the end. That's that. And for those students, mm-hmm. what I would encourage is to be thinking about what has that meant to you. Is there been a time mm-hmm. where you potentially would have preferred to do a traditional school, or ha- were you mm-hmm. happy with that? decision and what do you think you've gotten out of it and what do you think you've missed out on as a result? Just, mm-hmm. just being introspection. Yeah. Yes. Being thoughtful about it, being thoughtful about what yeah. this is, especially because yeah. 
it is a non-traditional path and you need to understand how you feel about it and what you think mm-hmm. about it before you could potentially talk about it in an essay or talk about it in an interview yeah. or um, add it to the additional information session, section, right? You need to understand your own exactly. thoughts about it. Absolutely. Um, are there ways that you've uh, seen homeschooling be an advantage to a student in the admissions process? Well, definitely. I, I would say in some ways. I, I don't think there's ever like a statistical advantage necessarily. It's much more holistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's no doubt about it that I perked up in committee every time a homeschooler was presented because it was sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure <laughs> story right. from my childhood of, ooh, I don't know where this is going to go. <laughs> you know, and wow, they, they were on a boat for six months and they were learning that way. And oh my gosh, you know, and the life story oftentimes that came with that, um, you know, really was pretty exciting. You know, it's, it was much uh, different. So that in itself, you know, was really exciting. But on the flip side, you know, oftentimes, um, you know, that you really had to be very clear that they met the parameters of, you know, that would they would be successful students on our campus. And it might be, you know, a little bit more work to convince a committee, um, mm-hmm. you know, that they were, they earned a seat, you know, maybe more than the student who took six APs in senior year, uh, you know, between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. And, you know, that kind of more traditional grind that might be needed uh, for a highly selective, you know, school experience. So, um, so I definitely always perked up more in committee. And sometimes I think it would certainly play in their advantage, especially if a student could expand on, you know, could speak about the experience and articulate it well, both in writing and especially if it's a school where they could interview, if they were able to, you know, speak, you know, uh, very clearly and succinctly about their experience to, to paint this picture of what they're bringing to the classroom once they come to that campus. Yeah, I, and, and I would agree with the challenges of convincing the committee when maybe the choice was a little less exciting and a little less interesting and... Yeah. It could be a tough sell at the the more selective you get, um, because you could argue that, I mean, how amazing to have all the time in the world to write when, you know, you weren't stuck in those strictures and you didn't have to be in class at a specific time, um, hit the markers that the teacher laid out for you. Um, it's a, it's an amazing choice and probably really a wonderful one for many students, but it's, it can also be a bit of a tough sell to, to say that you worked as hard as somebody who really, like you were saying, put in, did six APs in their senior year kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. As we, as we get to the end of our time to talk about this today, one thing I really would like to talk about um, is what are some suggestions that you have as far as things students who are homeschooled need to be doing as part of the application process that are different than necessarily their peers who are going to a more traditional high school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely emphasizing that testing, you know, that even if they're ending up applying to a school that may be test optional, as much as they can um, be able to take as many standardized tests, you know, as possible, especially if it's a strength for them, 
If it mm-hmm. is something that's a strength, I would definitely, you know, emphasize that they should be looking for any and every opportunity for that just as a way to kind of counterbalance or present a side to committee um, that might be equal to that student that's coming in with a more traditional um, transcript. And uh, also about recommendations. So mm-hmm. um, who oversees their learning experience? A lot of homeschool students that I um, have met over the years had often experiences where maybe it wasn't a traditional classroom, but they did do a science research, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. And that professor might be able to speak, you know, specifically about uh, what that student learned and what they brought to that experience. So being very mindful about who they're getting their recommendations from, mm-hmm. um, trying to aim towards them being as academic as possible, um, the types of recommenders that they're getting. And absolutely, if their parents overseeing their education, then they do want to seek out as many opportunities for people outside of their parents to write some recommendations. Yes, absolutely. Anything that kind of allows you, as you were saying, to underscore the what's been done in the home in quantifiable ways, whether it's through a recommendation letter or through testing or through maybe a class or two at a local community college. Um, the other big one that I would get asked about in committee was around the student's ability to be social, to have, mm-hmm. you know, come to campus and have a roommate and function within a more traditional environment, given that in some cases that student had really not didn't have anything on their record that would show that ability. So something Mm -hmm. that, you know, was always nice to see was maybe the student playing some organized sports perhaps because Mm -hmm. that was, you know, maybe through the town or doing some type of activity that involved other students. Um, It didn't have to be through the high school, of course, but it could be something else and it doesn't have to be sports, but something Mm -hmm. that shows that the student can function in a social environment and not just within the confines of the home. I completely and totally agree. There's no doubt that there was, you know, at times, and there still is, I've I've heard it in talking with just other parents about the homeschooling experience, a stereotype of, you know, aren't those students, you know, less, you know, antisocial or Mm -hmm. socially awkward and, um, you know, in my experience, that was a complete stereotype because I think that could apply to the students going to school just as often, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but uh, so finding, you know, uh, or being able to provide any evidence um, and, and just the experience, you know, of being away, um, you know, will help that student in the end, a pre-college program in the summer, you know, if they've never been away from home, you know, for mm-hmm. school traditional school or any sort of experience on their own, you know, I recommend it to really every student who's considering going away to college. And it would also serve as evidence to an admissions committee, um, potentially, especially if they take an academic course and get a recommendation. They'll probably speak to the whole experience, not just the academic. Yes, absolutely. Kara, thank you so much. I, I think there, you were able to share some really helpful information here and hopefully our uh, listeners who are going through the homeschooling experience or considering it found it really valuable. So I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me, Beth. Have a great day. All right. You too. Uh, after the break, we are talking about the senior slide. So uh, don't go away.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Our humanity is a thing we take for granted, but it takes many forms and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. Guests are people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My Favorite Coffee Story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, seniors, I'm talking to you. You know you think you're done. I know you think you're done. You probably think you're done. However, uh, there's this thing called the end of the school year, and there are these things that are going to come out called grades at the end of the school year, and those are still important. So we want to talk about keeping up the performance after you've deposited. And uh, once the excitement of that has worn off, what do you do? So here to talk about that with me is my colleague, who's also a former Georgetown admissions officer and a former college counselor at a couple of different high schools. Uh, So she has seen this firsthand. Uh, Lauren Randall. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Beth. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am great. I, I think this is the perfect topic today because the weather is so beautiful. I, I'm feeling the, <laughs> the senior slide over here, too. I just want to be outside and enjoy the sunshine. Exactly. It's a little tough to work here today. I would have to completely agree with you there. So, 
But let's talk a little bit about this. I know that um, this does get a lot of discussion amongst people who start panicking, probably around now, because maybe the slide or the paying a little less attention to school might have started even a few months ago once applications were in and maybe before you found out or if you got in early somewhere um, that you had committed to. So, Let's talk about some of just the nuts and bolts of this. Um, what is it that, as a counselor, you are responsible for doing for every student in your senior class in terms of their colleges by the end of the year? Sure. So, a final grades, a final transcript um, from that full year goes out to every college where where the students um, have deposited. And I think that some students either forget about that or just choose that or, or, or um, pretend that that's not going to happen um, and, uh, you know, are, are hopeful that, that it's just going to be overlooked. Um, but final grades do go out to the school where the student has deposited. Um, so it, it does matter. Yep. Absolutely. And um, when, as an admissions officer on the other side of the desk, when you received that final report, what were you or what was the office doing with that information? Sure. Well, first of all, remember that every admissions offer, offer whether it comes in the early round or regular decision round, if you deposited months ago or just a couple days ago, May 1st, um, the offer is always contingent on successful completion or satisfactory completion of your senior year. Um, there's never a 100% guarantee until they receive that final report. So as an admissions officer, I was looking for consistency. I wasn't expecting, you know, if, all, if you were a B student, then all of a sudden you're an A plus student. You don't need to necessarily end stronger. I mean, that would be great. But I was right. looking to see, did you keep up the grades in which I reviewed you on months ago and that I said, you know, this is a good fit for, for my school. They're up to the academic caliber here. Um, so I was expecting consistency um, in terms of grades, but also courses. Sometimes uh, students that were admitted early, I would get either email questions um, or sometimes in the, in the um, final report, of all of a sudden, students just didn't want to keep up their, their tough classes, and so they would drop from the AP level down to the regular level or drop it all together because um, they said, I'm in, I'm done. So I was looking right. for consistency in the courses and the grades. Yes. Uh, in rule, rule of thumb is absolutely, once you have been admitted, you, if you're going to change anything about what you put on your application um, in terms of courses that you're going to take or the courses that you're currently taking, you must get permission from the admissions office at the school you've been admitted to before you do that. Um, I cannot stress that enough that simply just deciding you're going to drop two of your APs because, well, now I'm in and I don't really need those and I'm not going to take the test anyway would have been an absolute no-no at Penn and I'm guessing mm-hmm. at Georgetown. And, um, you, you know, and I know guidance counselors out there will tell kids, you better get permission before you just do this. So I know you're getting that information from more than just us. Uh, and that is, you, you definitely want to get permission before you do that. What, um, what do you recommend if uh, we have a student who's listening, right? Well, before we actually talk about that, what did you see, what have you seen happen both in your roles as an admissions officer and as a college counselor around students who did have a big drop, right? So you said very clearly, if you're a straight A student, now you've got a couple of Bs, 
this is not cause for major concern. It's not ideal, but you don't really have to, you're not going to suffer any significant consequences for that. But what about the student with a big drop in grades? Right. So first of all, yes, I don't want to cause the, you know, the alarm to go off for any families out there that they have, they're, they're expecting maybe a B, maybe a B or two. Um, that's going to be absolutely fine. I would say this is a very rare occasion. Admissions officers are not looking to willy-nilly throw out the students they admitted. This is, it never, ever feels good. It causes, you know, panic. They they need to fill their class, too. So they're excited Mm -hmm. about the students they admitted, and they're just looking to make sure that you're still the the right student to come on campus. But if there was a very significant drop, and I mean that you're an A student, and now we're seeing some, uh, certainly Fs or Ds, I would say Cs are probably not going to be uh, not going to be the case of uh, an offer rescinded, but there might be some questions around that if you want from being an A student to a C student. But certainly, if you're failing anything, um, first of all, like I said, the college does have the right to rescind their offer. Um, the more selective the school, the harder it was to get in, and and it's just simply not fair. Um, to all the other great applicants they turned away. So they have every right to rescind an offer. Um, I think more likely is there's going to a conversation will be had. Um, The Mm -hmm. college is going to reach out to the student, probably the guidance counselor as well, um, to see what happens. They're not going to make any decision without a conversation, in my experience at least. They want to know what happened. Um, Were there extenuating circumstances that that we need to know about? Um, Is everything okay with the student? This is really unusual. Um, So it is possible an offer could be rescinded. I would say more likely is that that the student would begin – their college career, come on day one, already on academic probation. And that just really stinks. You know, you kind of go and you start off the year with a cloud over your head. Um, And let's not forget, that that can be serious, too, that academic probation, colleges have certain standards. And if you don't maintain them, you could ultimately be asked to leave the school. Right. What you could do is instead of having the cushion of, of maybe being able to not do as well as you transition to college into the college environment, right? Your mm-hmm. first semester at college, it's a, sometimes it's a lot to transition and maybe you're it not going to do so well that first semester, but it's probably not such a big deal and you find your footing and you don't do as well, but then you, you improve after that. Well, if you're already on probation, that safety net may be gone. It's not, you can't exactly. come and not do well, right? You, you, because if you don't do well, now you're going to, you're going to be in default on your probation terms. And therefore, to your point, you might be asked to actually leave. So it definitely can have broad reaching consequences. Absolutely. Um, yep. And yeah. So and, and I did want to underscore what you were saying about the fact that this isn't something colleges like to do. They're not waiting with glee to say, oh, this right. kid got four C's and we're used to A's and now we want to rescind the offer. It is generally going to be that, that what you are saying, you end up on probation. But if it is significant enough... And the other thing, too, is what you're adding to your plate. You're trying to get away with not doing anything. Well, what you're going to end up having to do sometimes is write a whole letter about what happened, Mm -hmm. and now you're explaining yourself. And don't you want to be done with those? You've already had to do those. You don't want to do those anymore. Exactly. Um, Exactly. So what advice do you have for people who are listening, uh, students who are listening, parents with students who are maybe facing 
some not so great consequences of of a senior slide. Uh, it, it is only early May. What are some things that students yeah. can do? Okay, well, first of all, the year is not over. My goodness, you know, it, most students, I would say, finish up sometime in June. So if you know, for, it, well, if you, first of all, if you don't know what, what your grades are looking like, go talk to your teachers. Uh, a lot of schools have their grades posted, um, their current grades. Go find out. You need to know what, what, you're, what to expect for these grades. But if you mm-hmm. know things aren't looking pretty, there is still time to do something about it, and, and you need to light a fire under you. You know, get moving. Immediately go talk to your teachers. These teachers are human beings. They want to see you succeed. And I can tell you, having worked on the high school side, it really stinks for, for the teachers when they feel like their students have given up, um, that they got everything out of it. They got into college, so they just don't care anymore. You know, a lot of teachers take it personally. So if they see the opposite, that you're coming back and saying, you know what, I kind of let things go a bit these past couple months. Um, I know I'm missing work. It, can I turn it in late? Um, mm-hmm. Is there any extra credit opportunities? You have your exams coming up. So, uh, study for them. Is, are there going to be review sessions? Is there any kind of um, exam guide that the teacher is willing to, to, to work with you on? So seek the help of your individual teachers um, and certainly know what, what, what to expect from your grades. Um, you know, I would, I, I would also say if you do find yourself in this position, and really I'm talking about if you, if you think you're going to end up with C's or worse, don't panic if you're the A student with a couple of B's. I would not reach out to the admissions office over that. You're just wasting their time. But I think a lot of students do ask us, should they be proactive or not? Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and I, there's not, you are not required Nobody says you have to pick up the phone and call the admissions office and say, all right, heads up, a D is coming your way at the end of this year. Um, If it were me, I would be sleepless over it. So if if you have, you know, a mentality like me where you're going to have some sleepless nights wondering what's going to happen, I actually would be proactive. I would reach out to the admissions office, explain what happened, and certainly explain what you are doing about it. Um, to mm-hmm. remedy the situation in the next month. Um, but if it were me, I would be proactive because uh, I'd want to know sooner rather than later um, if, you're, if you're in hot water. Yes, absolutely. And I would agree with that. I, I, there is no rule that you have to, but I do think imagining that the school is not going to notice if your transcript is showing a significant drop is uh, a little naive. And if mm-hmm. you, you will show, I think, you will show more maturity and more evidence that you actually recognize uh, this is a problem and I'm trying to fix it and I'm sorry and I really don't have an excuse, uh, then the schools at least appreciate that you're trying to be proactive. You're trying to do the mature thing, even if you let immaturity take over for the past few weeks. Admissions officers are people too, and again, no one wants to see what has finally ended in happiness. You're committing to a college, and the college is excited to have you attend Mm -hmm. blow up at this stage of the game. That is not what anyone wants. And so the more you can kind of take control of the situation and be proactive, I I would agree with you, and I vote for that myself. Absolutely. Just in terms of timeline. Um, at least at Georgetown, we did this review in July. So mm-hmm. certainly, if you know now in May things aren't looking good, again, if it were me, I'd want to know what's going to happen in May 
not in July when, when then you could really be scrambling. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, well, that would be tough. Yeah, I have to agree. So, all right, that's our general advice then. Pick it up, turn it around, and be proactive. And again, though, I do want to reiterate because I know people can panic about things like I was straight A's and now I'm straight B's. Those, that's really, you might get a note saying, boy, we didn't really like that, although I don't think for B's you will. Um, but we're, you're really not in super dangerous territory um, unless things have really taken a significant downturn, most likely. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Beth. Enjoy the weather. All right. I'm going to you too. So I want to thank Lauren and all of my guests today. Next week, I'm back. I'm hosting two weeks in a row, which I love. Uh, And we're going to be talking about more stuff for seniors, um, primarily around transitioning to college. So there's going to be a lot of paperwork, a lot of deadlines, a lot of things to think about on both admissions and the finance side, whether you're getting financial aid or you're paying outright, there's still a lot of stuff that you need to take care of. And so we're going to go through that. We're going to take two segments to go through that. And then we're also going to talk about a term that we um, use a lot when we are talking to students who aspire to the most selective schools. And that is a distinguishing excellence. What is it? How do you think about it? Uh, Potentially, how do you get one? So uh, that's what we're going to be covering next week. Uh, If you have questions for us, we have some shows coming up where we're going to be doing, uh, we're going to be answering your questions. Send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. A lot of the segment ideas that we we have come from our questions. So if you have questions, please send them in. Also, our archives, our blog, these are some great free ways to get information from us. Um, We have, uh, the blog is blog.getintocollege.com. We're on Pinterest, we're on LinkedIn, uh, and there's so much good stuff in our archives for you to check out. And if you weren't aware, you can sign up for downloads of the show on iTunes, and then you would be guaranteed never to miss one. Uh, And don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.